0: Donna Peters back for season four of the award-winning Me Sweet podcast. Here we continue to shine a mic on career-driven, life-minded professionals, sharing our wins and our warts as we cultivate the role we want work to play in our lives. Putting work to work for us, as I like to say. Let's get in there. This episode discusses mental health at work and is not appropriate for small children. On this episode of the Me Suite, I am bringing together four trends. The first trend is around the impact of the pandemic on healthcare workers. The second trend is our heightened awareness of health, both physical and mental health, of people at work. The third one is the incredible impact that animals have had on our lives during the pandemic and so many families taking on new animals who have never had pets before. There are now 70% of U.S. households have a pet. And then the fourth trend, and I think so disturbing, we're going to talk about the impact of the pandemic and other factors on the veterinary community. They are on the front lines of medical care for members of our family who just happen to have fur. And so today I have brought someone very special into the me Suite. Her name is Dr. Jodi. She is a doctor of veterinary medicine and also has a master's in public health. Welcome, Dr. Jodi, to the me Suite.
1: Thank you, Donna, for having me. So, Jodi, I did
0: start with a lot of a data dump in there. I want to start with your data because it's kind of fun. Okay. So, some quick rapid fire questions. Okay. How long have you been practicing veterinary medicine? 22 years. And you are what is called a companion
1: animal vet. Is Mm -hmm. that right? Companion animal or small animal?
0: Or small animal. And did I read correctly that in veterinary medicine, when you're in medical school for a DVM, you study six species?
1: Yeah, you, have, you study small animals, food animals, and then if you are interested in additional species, then you can pursue yeah. those as well. Yeah,
0: so I've always thought that that's kind of interesting. When I think about, I'm, I'm certainly not minimizing human medical doctors, but animal medical doctors, you would have studied cats and dogs. You would have studied what? Horses, pigs, chickens? And cows. And cows. Mm-hmm. Wow, okay, that's pretty amazing. Mm-hmm. Okay, and how long is that? What is that medical school journey? For a vet.
1: Um, It's the same track as human medicine. I'm I'm married to a physician. So Uh he and I went through uh, our schooling together at the same time, parallel to each other. Okay. So uh, you need to obtain your undergraduate study. You know, usually you have a bachelor's degree and go on to veterinary school or medical school. And that is another four years of training. And then should you decide after that, if you want to subspecialize in in something like veterinary surgery or veterinary ophthalmology, then you can pursue additional training. Or if you decide to be a general practitioner, as I am, you can go to work right after you graduate.
0: Okay. So you're in school for veterinary medicine as long as a general practitioner is on human medicine. Exactly. Wow. Okay. Okay. And you also have a master's in public health, which I think makes you even more special that we're having this conversation. You were surviving this pandemic period. How did you decide? Did you have a pivotal moment that said, I'm going to be a veterinarian? What was that like?
1: Um, That moment came a little bit later in life for me than it does for a lot of uh, women. A lot of young girls at the age of eight decide that they want to be a vet and they know that their whole lives and they pursue it. Mm -hmm. And uh For me, it was always an interest in science, and it wasn't until I was finishing with my undergraduate uh, degree in science, um, bachelor's in science, that I took a long, hard look at what direction I wanted to take. And at the time, I was interested in optometry uh, because I'd been working in the optical field for a while, and uh, my husband was starting his pursuit in human medicine. So I started to self-reflect and realize that medicine was going to provide me with a lot of... uh, lot more interesting days, perhaps, than I might have had with optometry. So I'm I'm glad I I pivoted at that moment uh, as I was graduating from from college. Yeah,
0: amazing. So I uh, have a couple of fun questions for you in this pet space. What is an example of some of the craziest, wildest, funnest pet names that you have ever come across? I've always imagined that must be kind of fun.
1: Okay, well, you know, I think the craziest one is is a cat uh, who's still at our practice, and uh, his name is Balls Nasty.
0: Nice. For real, that's his name. Okay, <laughs> but- well, you, usually names come from habits or, or, or characteristics, and I'm hoping this isn't the truth here.
1: I'm not sure where his name came from, but some of uh-huh. my favorite names actually come when the, the children get to name the pet. You know, sometimes <gasps> it's a boy dog named Bella or, okay. you know, Snowflake or... Um, skittles you know nice. it's cute when the kids get to name the pets <laughs> i did have a cat owner who had uh, two kitties um one was uh, or is Senor don queso okay. and the other cat is detective beans nice. and, I, and i love when people can uh you know have some humor in their pet names because it really gives them some character i like this and it's a good challenge
0: on my next pet i gotta get more creative i oh, think that's what fine. i'm learning yeah. okay at least to lighten up your day, now
1: oh, that yeah. I know how important it is <laughs> that the name be fun when you're reading the schedule and you you get entertained by the names that's yeah. that's a perk,
0: yeah, that's so cute, and
1: then, uh, is it true? bust a
0: myth for us here in the me suite. Is it true that owners look like their pets?
1: Oh, some of them do, yeah, absolutely, uh dog <laughs> and cat owners, believe it or not, okay, my favorite is uh you know when a bulldog owner. Kind of looks like their bulldog. Nice. I mean, that's just, that's <laughs> precious. I love it.
0: <laughs> yeah. So if I wanted to be the lean, lithe ballerina, I would need to go get an Afghan hound and hope for the best or something. I, I, th- I think you could do that. Okay. <laughs> I think you'd achieve that goal. <laughs> so I was also intrigued in the veterinary space. I've been learning and studying in preparation for talking to you. This profession is 70, almost 70% female now, right? Mm hmm. And so I can only imagine how many hats you personally wear and the veterinary community wears. How many hats do you wear?
1: Obviously, you're a doctor of veterinary medicine. Mm -hmm. You are also a? A working mom. Yeah. I am a wife. Yeah. And I'm a pet owner. So I definitely have the perspective of my clients uh, in mind when I'm taking care of their pets because I always think, you know, how would I want to be treated? How would I want my pet to be treated?
0: Yeah. And with this new stat that 70% of at least U.S. households, I had U.S. data for this, U.S. households, uh, 70% of U.S. households have at least one pet. Mm -hmm. I can only imagine what has been happening during the pandemic. Can you share with us a little bit about the impacts that you have seen in your practice in these last 24 months?
1: You know, if I can go back to March of 2020, you know, before the pandemic hit, it felt like we had really good balance. You Mm -hmm. know, you could have your uh, appointment, come in and spend your time with the client. Um, make sure you're practicing really high quality medicine and everybody felt like they had the time that they needed. Mm-hmm. And the pandemic hit. And obviously uh, at that time, you know, there wasn't a roadmap and most of the veterinary community went with the curbside model for safety. Yep. And therefore clients were no longer coming into the building. Um, we all started wearing masks. And with that uh, developed a lot of inefficiencies. It it essentially takes twice as long to take care of a curbside appointment than it does a regular appointment. Wow. So it just takes a lot of time and a lot of back and forth. And so what we could achieve in 30 minutes face-to-face is taking an hour. Wow. And the whole time you're aware that that client is sitting in their car and I know what it feels like sitting Uh in a car. Five minutes feels Uh like a long time. And when your average veterinary appointment is taking an hour... That feels like a really long time, especially in the summertime when it's hot and you're running your car just to stay Mm -hmm. cool or in the winter when it's cold and you're trying to stay warm. Or when you have children in the car, time can really take on a different meaning.
0: Yeah, and then add to that that a lot of these visits aren't just preventative care. You actually have a sick animal. So you've got that added stress in the hot car with the lack of or broken, I should say, broken communication.
1: Yeah, unfortunately, yeah. you know, a lot of our clients as they're sitting in the car, they're wondering what's going on, you yeah. know? A lot of them are fearful or worried. Yeah. Their pet's not well, they're already stressed. They they they're not seeing the doctor. Sometimes these are new clients, they haven't even met us, so they right. don't really wow. know us. And they're having to trust somebody that they're only talking to on the phone. Uh-huh. And as their appointment is taking longer, say you reach 30 minutes and and sometimes they become frustrated. Understandably so. And then those frustrations are generally felt by the staff because, you know, they're 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 concerned, they're they're worried, or things are taking longer than they expected. So this is fascinating to me.
0: You just described a scenario I had not appreciated. In the pandemic, many families were getting pets for the first time. Absolutely. Meaning they needed a vet for the first time. You are a frontline medical worker, but you're frontline with the animal. Mm -hmm. You haven't actually been meeting the human attached to the animal.
1: Yeah, we had a, uh, a very large influx of new clients who uh, adopted animals. Right. You know, a lot of the animal shelters were amazingly uh-huh. emptied out, and a lot of people were at home with their pets, and a lot of them were coming to us for the first time, and uh, they they hadn't met. us. Yeah. And uh, I can't imagine what that's like. You know, yeah. somebody's taking care of your fur child, and you don't really know them, and right. you're, you're having to trust them without seeing them. Yeah
0: and then add to that emotion, illness, or worry, emergency, et cetera. I now want to shift to the more uncomfortable part mm-hmm. of this conversation. And one of the main reasons I wanted to highlight it in the Me Suite. In the Me Suite, we are career-driven professionals. Who Absolutely. Who are also <laughs> trying to be life-minded. And I came across some stats and appreciated through conversation with you. And I'm going to read them. Mm-hmm. One in six veterinarians have contemplated suicide yes the veterinary profession is three percent more likely to die by suicide than the general population Uh, this is staggering to me Mm -hmm. and then you add on top of that the the profession is about 70 percent female
1: Mm -hmm.
0: you add on top of that that Every day in the news, we are learning more and more about the critical component of mental health in the workplace. But that might be easier for a bigger corporation. A lot of these veterinary practices are smaller companies, right? With more limited resources, more independently owned, correct? Correct. So I want to talk about that. I want to talk about uh, knowing that I have these listeners here captivated right now and thinking about their, their animal parents. What could we be doing as animal parents and thinking differently about your profession and how we show up to you and have more respect about what you and your seed are doing for us?
1: I think uh, that's a really good question and um, one that I want to help with for sure. Um, I would like to just shed some light on what's likely happening at most yeah. veterinary clinics. And it, it's, it's, a, it's a different world right now. Mm-hmm. Um, You have small clinics where, you know, the demand has been high and the inefficiencies are causing a lot of stress and it's month after month and Mm -hmm. now we're, you know, we're well into our second year and unfortunately people are leaving. Yeah. A lot of people are leaving. Yeah. Uh, We've lost over 20 members of our staff. Wow. This year.
0: And these are veterinarian medical doctors as well as tech staff? Oh, tech yeah. technicians,
1: uh-huh. um, receptionists, assistants all mm-hmm. across the board. And, and I know the, the labor shortage is not unique to us. Yeah. You know, there's people leaving jobs everywhere. But, you know, these are skilled, trained employees yeah. that are not easily replaced. Right. Some of them are leaving to go to smaller clinics, hoping that it will be less stressful. Some of them are leaving the workforce altogether, mm. and then some of them are just trying something different, trying yeah. to find something that's less stressful. Mm-hmm. So as we have fewer workers and more demand, our appointments are becoming more and more booked yeah. and harder to come by. Yeah. And so, what what clients are experiencing has got to be incredibly frustrating. Is that you know your pet's sick and you want to be seen. Mm-hmm. And what used to happen is you'd call your vet and say, my pet's sick, and we get you in today, and we take care of your pet. Mm-hmm. And what we're finding is that we're in a place where we have to set boundaries, and we have to schedule within our own limits. Yeah. And recognizing your limits is not easy. You know, saying yeah. no is not easy. Yeah, for anybody. We care about these pets. We care about these pet owners. Mm-hmm. And I think, unfortunately, a lot of people in our business, our industry, our careers have bent till they've broken. Yeah, and there are a lot of people who are suffering from mental health crises. A lot of people are suffering from burnout. Yeah. And it's really difficult. So what we're finding is that we are now kind of practicing in a little bit of a different time. You know, we're we're not able to take care of every patient every time as we used to, mm-hmm. and we're Having to send some of these patients to the emergency clinic instead of seeing them, and we don't like to do that, but you know we've reached our, our boundaries. or We've reached our capacity, I should yeah. say. Yeah. And unfortunately, the emergency clinics are full. Yeah. I mean, we have really amazing emergency clinics and specialty hospitals here in our city, and they're actually turning clients away. Wow. They're telling us when we're trying to send a critical patient over to them, they can't take it.
0: Wow. They can't
1: receive it. They're full. They're at capacity. Mm-hmm. They're also telling uh, clients that are showing up in the parking lot, what used to take 30 minutes to an hour, they're telling them sometimes they're going to wait four to six hours to be seen. Wow. And so in some ways, we're, we're mirroring human medicine. Exactly. You know, when I wake up, if I don't feel good, if I call my general practitioner's office and they say that they're full, I sort of accept that mm-hmm. and I know that I need to go to an urgent care and if I go to an urgent care, I know that there's going to be a wait. Mm-hmm. And uh, we've unfortunately found ourselves you know, having to set those boundaries as well. And it's, 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 it's uncomfortable
0: because mm-hmm.
1: you know, want, we want to take care of our patients and we want to keep our clients happy. Yeah. We really do.
0: Yeah, I see two sides of it to uh, test, test my hypothesis. One side too is I imagine anyone attracted to this career is already coming with more empathy in their big toe than I have in my entire body.
1: It, yes, we yeah. we, are, we are a very highly empathetic, uh, yeah. I would say, uh, group. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah,
0: which I think makes these uh, limitations so much more stressful and
1: hurtful and heartbreaking. Yeah, absolutely.
0: Yeah. And then on the other side, you you're also in an industry where most people are paying for all of these emergency services out of pocket, yes. right? So I guess the affordability issue comes into play here, which adds even
1: more stress to the situation. Absolutely, unhappy clients can result mm. in um, a lot of unpleasant experiences. Yeah. Uh, Oftentimes, our reception staff bear the brunt of it. Uh You know, if a client is calling and they can't get what they want when they want it, Mm -hmm. uh, they're going to yell at the reception staff. They're going to belittle them or call them names. And you know, these these are people just trying to help and trying to do their job. Yeah. Um, Sometimes it's our assistants, our technical staff, and then sometimes it makes it to the veterinary team. Um, We are often uh, treated better than -hmm. our staff. You know, we have uh, our clients will respect uh-huh. us more. And unfortunately, this year, you know, you touched upon this earlier, and I, I will get emotional, but mm-hmm. the increase in suicide does happen. And mm-hmm. we, we lost a member of our staff this year to suicide, one of oh. our veterinary technicians. And
0: mm-hmm.
1: it's still unbelievable. It I is mean, unbelievable. I worked with her that day. Yeah. And that day, oh. there was a, a lot going on, but amongst mm-hmm. the things that happened, a client did berate her. And mm-hmm. I'm sure that wasn't the only thing that was mm-hmm. was driving her to that decision, but uh, you can't help but think that uh, it contributed. Yeah, and um, never never experienced anything like that Mm-mm. in my life. Mm-mm.
0: It's it's one of the th- these horrific stories that made me think about shining a light on this because you are a career professional
1: mm-hmm.
0: at a time that we could never have predicted. Mm-hmm. And we as pet owners, which is 70% of U.S. households, I think we have a role to play here in how we respect the profession and how we are showing up. And so the same way I can go teach a dog to stay, sit, or uh, no, <laughs> I wanted to learn what could we be doing to, to humans? If you could go and train a human <laughs> to, to do the equivalent of the sit, stay, or no, what would that look like? It, it, my, for my next visit, how should I show up?
1: If you have an understanding of what's going on uh-huh. behind the curtain, if you will, yeah, then, um, you know, to try to have some patience, to just try to have some grace, mm. take a deep breath, let us help, mm. but uh, understand that we are doing our absolute best. Yeah, yeah. So do you have any advice
0: for a new pet owner who might be listening and they're showing up at their vet for the first time? What would they be doing where you would say, wow, that is an amazing pet parent?
1: It's interesting you ask that because I met a woman exactly like that yesterday. (gasps) You did? Yes. Oh, fantastic. And uh, she uh, was... An in-clinic appointment. We are offering some of those as well. Okay. And she came in with a pet that she had just adopted from the shelter. Older dog, Mm. lots of medical issues, including heartworm disease. Mm. And she came in with a long list of questions and concerns, and we worked through them one by one. And that visit took two hours. Wow. And never once did she make me feel rushed. Mm. Um, she was as engaged in taking care of her her new pet as mm. I was. Mm-hmm. And I felt like we were going on a journey together, and we were working together. Wow. And it was very exciting by the end of that appointment to know that, you know, I have now a new client that is somebody that I'm going to look forward to working with and also helping this lovely pet that she adopted from the shelter. Mm-hmm. So I think just having patience and knowing that we're we're there to collaborate as a team, where we yeah. both have the same goals. We want to make sure that your pet is getting the best care and uh, that we're addressing all of your concerns.
0: Yeah, fabulous. So I'm hoping listeners are taking away a few things. you know, continue to think about the role of both physical and mental health in the workplace. Let's start to include and have a heightened sense of awareness about the impact of mental health in our veterinary community and also the role that we can play as pet parents in, in helping. Uh, create a higher sense of well-being in your profession. You do amazing things with amazing empathy. Thank you for your patience with My Crazy Animals.
1: And I just want to thank you for uh, sharing your story. And I also want to thank you for being one of the most fantastic clients, because you are also very patient, very collaborative, and very fun to work with. And you always present challenges. Well, your pets do, not you. (laughs) Okay, that's an, that's an important clarification, yes. but, but I would have taken the feedback. Thank you, Dr. Jody. You're so welcome, Donna.
0: Thank you for spending time in the me Suite. If you have ideas for topics you'd like discussed this season, contact me at TheMeSuite.com or on LinkedIn. I'd love to hear from you. And remember... Five-star ratings and reviews keep us alive out here. They really do make a difference.